The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading today comes from the first three chapters of the book of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of this place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' house of Judea and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of the Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, 1,000 other vessels, and all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with Uh, when the exiles were brought up from the Babylonians to Jerusalem. Now, these were the people of the provinces who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. The whole assembled together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to, uh, one man to, to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Zozadak, whose fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtal, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings, morning, burnt offerings, and evening. And they kept the feasts of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and all the appointed feasts of the Lord. And the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to 
to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, to, the, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to, grant, to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtal, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Aspah, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid that many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid. But many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. The people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of our Lord. Tomorrow is uh, MLK Day. And um, the reason that we commemorate a day like MLK Day is that we might remember history, that we might go back and remember what happened so that we can be better and do better. And that's precisely why God gives us these historical books like Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, these two books were always viewed as one book uh, by the Israelites, and that's how and why we are approaching them as one um, unit, if you will. Uh, and Michael and myself and Terrence and Michael Rhodes, others will be preaching through the entire uh, two books, really one book, of Ezra and Nehemiah that we might get the lessons from the history of Judah and Israel that God would have us learn. You see, these stories were written for you and me. And we cannot neglect them because they have something very important to say. So before we begin this morning, let me pray that God might open our hearts to the message He has for us from His Word. God, we need You this morning. We need Your Spirit to come in power to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious wonders of Jesus, even from Ezra and Nehemiah. Father, I pray this morning that you would touch our hearts, the hearts of us that feel as if we are in exile, that feel as if you have stiff-armed us and we can never and will never go back home. Oh God, I pray that you would touch our hearts this morning to see that that's not the kind of God you are. But your arms are open, that you are our Father, and you love us, and that is who we are. Oh God, may the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ come crashing into our fears, come crashing into our anxieties, come crashing into our pride, come crashing into our despondency, that we might have the hope 
that you give us in your word and in the person of Jesus. Oh God, do something this morning in us. Convince us of what is true. And may we abandon what is false. May we let go of the idols of our lives. Oh God, the cisterns that we have run to that will not hold water, would you lead us to yourself who is the living water? Oh God, you can only do that. No preacher can, and we can't even do it for ourselves. So God, we pray by your Spirit that you would bring revival and new life this morning. We need you. Reform us, oh God, according to your word, that we might know the joy and the freedom and the love that we were made for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week in uh, my research, I came across this ad. It was posted in the Colored Tennessean, a newspaper apparently, uh, in the mid-1800s. This ad was posted by a slave who was looking for his mother. He had been separated from his mother for 21 years, and he placed this ad in the Colored Tennessean on October 7, 1865. It reads, Information is wanted of my mother, whom I left in Fauquier County, Virginia in 1844, and I was sold in Richmond, Virginia, to Samuel Copeland. I formerly belonged to Robert Rogers, I'm very anxious to hear from my mother, and any information in relation to her whereabouts will be very thankfully received. My mother's name was Betty, and was sold by Colonel Briggs to James French. Any information by letter addressed to the Colored Tennessee in Box 1150 will be thankfully received. Signed, Thornton Copeland. As I read that article, or that ad, all I could think was how sad it must have been to be ripped from his mother, for this family to be torn apart, and for them to long to see one another again, and to be grasping for a way to be reunited. And as I thought about that in light of uh, the history of Israel, the history that we are brought into in this passage, I thought that is exactly where God's people were. Except they have been waiting 50 years. Nebuchadnezzar, the evil ruler, uh, conquered Judah, conquered Jerusalem, and took the people as his own possession to Babylon. He owns them now. They are his. They have no recourse. They have no, they've lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. They've lost everything that is familiar. And now they are the property of the Babylonian ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. And they are longing to be back in Jerusalem, primarily because Nebuchadnezzar didn't just take them, but when he took them, he raided Solomon's temple, the place that God's presence was housed. He took all of the uh, the furnishings, all of uh, the dishes and bowls, and all of the utensils used to worship God. He took them all to Babylon, and then he tore down their temple as if to say, oh yeah, show me how great your God is. It's the gods of Babylon that are the greatest. And so the people of God, those that have received the promise of of God being faithful, 
those that have received the promise of having life, if they would just give themselves to Him, find themselves completely cut off from their God. And we hear their longing in Psalms like Psalm 42, where the psalmist writes, and, and if you notice, it's from this is written by um, the sons of Korah, so the singers. And they're singing, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? They're in exile, and the Babylonians are taunting them. Now where's your God? Isn't He so great? Oh, And the people of God are are being pressed down. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise. Just like we have sung this morning. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. You feel like the psalmist is preaching that to himself to convince himself. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. You see, the psalmist is in this foreign land. He is ripped from the presence of God. And he is longing to be with God's people, worshiping God. Why? Because the Israelites, just like every man, was created by God for God. I mean, that is the longing of our souls. Augustine put it uh, so eloquently when he said, Our souls have no rest. They are restless until they find their rest in you. It doesn't matter what we look to. Nothing this side of God is going to give us the kind of satisfaction that we want. And yet, in this life, even when we give ourselves to God, we find ourselves struggling to maintain the intimacy of His presence. And that, my friends, is your struggle and mine. It is struggling to maintain the intimacy of being in God's presence. That is what, why this is so special. What we do here. This is why God calls us as His people to worship Him. This is why, this is not entertainment, what our worship leaders are doing. Why we call them worship leaders. They are drawing us to the throne room of God that we might literally experience His presence because He said, where two or three are gathered together in My name, there I am. This is where we as a body are energized. This is where we meet God. And we certainly meet Him in His Word in our studies at home. We certainly meet Him on our knees in prayer.
But how many of us can say that we live in this constant intimacy with God? None of us. Therefore, we all, to a degree, live in exile. Because we struggle just as Israel struggled. Listen to the reason that they're in exile from Jeremiah 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why is Israel, why are Judah, why are they in exile? Because they have chased after the gods of the world, determining that they're going to be their own God. Determining that they know how to run their own lives. And so God in His mercy says, No, you must learn, my dear children, that I am your life. And you can't find life in the idols that you are chasing. Because they are simply cisterns that cannot even hold water. You pour in, you pour in, you invest your entire life in them, and they're just leaking out the bottom. Can anybody in this room relate this morning? Are you chasing things that that are simply not satisfying you, and you find yourself empty and angry and wanting more? Then Ezra and Nehemiah, the message that is coming to us this morning and will be coming to us over the next few weeks is for you. You see, we were made to be in the the reality of the finished and the reality of the completed, and yet we all live in the world of the unfinished. So how do we live in the midst of the unfinished when we were made for the finished? That's what I want us to begin looking at this morning. And the first thing that we need to see is that God is ruling the unfinished and the in-between. Do you hear me? God is on His throne in the unfinished and the in-between. And this message is loudly proclaimed. I know we all saw social media has been blowing up. Every news channel has been blowing up, reporting uh, the comments that our president made regarding um, African countries and um, Haitian people and Haiti. Um, I don't even have to give the specifics of even the language that he used to describe. And and I know that hits us deeply. It hits us deeply because we want to say, that's, that doesn't represent me. That's not my heart. I even reached out to uh, a couple of our members, one who's from Haiti and other from African nations, and just saying, hey, I want you to know that that, that doesn't represent me or downtown church. Um, and yet we live in this land and we, we, we live and, 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 and are, are under the leadership of those that, that we simply don't agree with. And it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to let that define our heart and our confidence in life. And yet I want you to see this morning that the people of God can, can relate 
Those who were in exile can relate to where we are because they've lost everything. They are under evil leadership. And yet look at what God does. Verse 1. In the first year that Cyrus of Persia, a pagan, an evil ruler, in the first year that Cyrus of Persia was emperor, The Lord made what he had said through the prophet Jeremiah come true. Listen to this. He prompted Cyrus to issue the following command and send it out in writing to be read aloud everywhere in his empire. Did you hear me? God used and moved an evil ruler... To to send the people of God back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, to rebuild the temple. He didn't just say, hey, you guys can go, okay, I relent. He said, no, this is the command of God. Coming through a man who does not even profess to follow God. Dear friends, the message is loud and clear. Why are you letting the front page news define your outlook on your life? Do you think God is asleep? Do you think God can't use whatever means He wants to, to accomplish His will? Do you think God is not at work? This story is telling us the reality that God is at work. He doesn't need a righteous man in the White House or in the governor's mansion or to be your boss. or to... He doesn't need anybody. Because no one can thwart His will. And we as the people of God cannot be seen as a people whose joy is based on who is sitting in a public office. But who is sitting on the throne of God. I mean, that is the clear and simple message this morning. Take hope, people of God. We sang it. All of creation is our God's. He is our Father, and He loves us, and that is who we are. Man, I love that chorus. Can we please sing that again at the end? Okay, thank you. Uh, I could just sing that. That that was the gospel I needed this morning. Because I did not have a very good father. And many of you in this room didn't either. Some of you, many of you don't even know your father. Guess what? You have the best father. You have the best father. Man, that'll, that's another sermon. I'm going to back off. I'm going to back off. Um, You see, God is faithful to His promises. Listen to Jeremiah 29. All of this, God moving Cyrus to tell the people to go to Judah and Jerusalem and rebuild the temple was just in line with what He promised to do. Jeremiah 29. The Lord says, When Babylonia's 70 years are over, I will show my concern for you and keep my promise to bring you back home. I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity, not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. Do you hear that? Plans to bring about the future you hope for. Then you will call to me. You will come and pray to me. And I will answer you. You will seek me and you will find me. Because you will seek me with all your heart. Dear friends, keep the eyes of your heart on Him. Because God is at work even ruling those that are evil in your lives. But guess what? He's also at work even ruling your heart. 
I love this. Ezra 1, 5 and 6. Then the heads of the clans of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and Levites, everyone else whose heart God had moved, got ready to go and rebuild the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. Did you hear that? Who went back? Every single one whose heart God moved. Dear friends, God is at work in your heart. And that's our next point. Not only is God ruling the unfinished and the uncertain, but you matter to the mission of God in the unfinished and the in-between. You matter to the mission of God. I spent a couple of days, actually just 24 hours in Nashville this week. I went to um, consult, really, with a good friend of mine who's planning a new church in Nashville. And uh, my friend um, committed some sin about eight or nine years ago and um, left ministry and went into the business world. Um, And really for him, that was going into exile, he and his wife both. But God graciously called him back into ministry and his wife as well. And they're restored um, to ministry and about to plant a church in Nashville. And I spent 24 hours with he and his wife. And to see the life that is in them was so encouraging. To see that there, there's, there's hope, there's purpose. Uh, I was um, talking to him over the last eight or nine years as well. And, and he was struggling and he was, he was being obedient and moving forward and healing and, and, and all of those things. But now I see the spark of him saying, this is what God has called us to do. And he has restored us. He's taken us out of exile and he's brought us into the land of his favor. What happened? He had renewed purpose. And friends, every single one of us is made for the purpose of following God and serving Him. And I love that in this mission, all of chapter 2, we didn't read it because I just wasn't going to do that to one of our readers or to us. But we know exactly how many people went back to Judah in this first wave. God called 42,360 exiles, 7,337 male and female servants, and 200 singers. That's 49,897 people. Why would God tell us that 49,897 people went back to Jerusalem? I mean, what's important about that? I'll tell you what's important about that. Why give us all the names of the heads of the families? Why give? Because they matter to the mission of God. And what does that tell you and me? We matter to the mission of God. There was not 49,896. There was not 49,898. There were 49,897 people because God knew and moved the hearts of each and every one. Dear friend, do you understand what that means? It means, why are you in the profession you're in? Why are you going to the school that you're in? Why are you in the marriage that you're in? Why do you have the children that you have? Why do you have the parents that you have? Why are you in this city and not some Why, 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 why? Because God has put you here for one purpose, and that's to serve Him. 
Whether you eat or drink, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, no matter what you do, do it all to the glory of God. Why? Because that's why He made you. And that's why He has you right where you are, making exactly the salary or the hourly wage or having no job. That is why He has you right where you are. What am I to do? Live your life to the glory of God. Go to your work, go to your school, go to your marriage, go to your friends, go to wherever God's placed you and live that life to the glory of God. Why? Because He has called you specifically to what you're doing. When someone comes to me and asks, Richard, I'm really struggling with what God is calling me to do. The first question I ask is, what do you want to do? Why? Because notice in this text, God called, or Cyrus tells, okay, tells the people, you can go back. And I'm sure that everybody was putting coffee meetings in their, you know, I gotta go ask my friends, I gotta discern the Lord's. What happened? God just put it on the hearts, 49,897 people. What does that mean? He put it on their hearts. He gave them a desire to go back. What do you have a desire to do? Oh, but I could never do that. Do you understand that most of these people, the majority of these, uh, of God's people had never been to Jerusalem? This is 50 years later. Most of them had just heard stories. They didn't know what to expect. And when they got to the land, they, they were afraid. And we're going to get to that in just a second. And yet, do you see... If you go back and read, and I encourage you to do so this afternoon, that when they left, they didn't... When they said they were going, then the gifts started coming. Then the the, the gold and the gifts started coming to rebuild the temple. And, And again, the message is so clear. When you take the first step of faith with God, He is there. You find Him there. Why is it so hard back here? Oh, I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Because God's saying, trust me. Take the step. Move in the direction that God wants you to move. And for some of you, that means stay right where you are and trust that He's going to show up where you are. And for some of you, it's you better quit what you're doing and you better move in a different direction. And then thirdly and finally... God's presence is our only comfort in the unfinished and the in-between. It's a common scene. My grandchildren have spent the night with us a number of times. And very rarely do we get through a night without somebody calling out. Now, what are they calling out? What do they typically say? Oh, hey, Bapa, I love my bed in here and I'm feeling so comfortable and safe. No. What are they calling out? Bapa, I'm scared. Bapa, caught. You know, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. Listen to this, verse 3. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burn offerings morning and evening. So this is almost comical. You miss it if you don't slow down. They go to the land and what do they do? 
they start looking around. Oh man, we better build us an altar. We need God. <laughs> we, we, you know, they are calling out in the night, Oh God, where are you? So all of a sudden, I mean, they're, okay, it's the seventh month. We've got to celebrate the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. We've got to get going. we got to get because we can't be here alone. And I've struggled all week. Is this bad or good? I mean, it would have been better if it said, Oh, they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then they built the altar. But it says... It was because they feared the peoples of the land. And as I think about my grandchildren, my grandchildren aren't calling out, Hey, Papa, or, you know, they're not calling out, Hey, monster in the closet. They're calling out to me. Why? Because they trust me. Because they know I love them. Because they know I'll come. And so I think that, I, I don't know, maybe there's sin here, but I, I think more than anything, when you're afraid, you better go to God. I mean, that's what I think is here. You better come to worship. You better bow down before Him. You better understand that there is someone bigger than you, greater than you, that you were made to serve and worship. Dear friends, the presence of God is your lifeline. It is what you're looking for in that bar on Friday night, looking, going home, thinking sex with this person, maybe this time, maybe I won't wake up tomorrow morning feeling as empty as I, I have been in, in weeks and months and years past. Uh, you know, maybe if I, you know, uh, maybe this vacation, maybe this house, maybe this car, maybe this job, maybe this per- Dear friends, what you're looking for is the presence of God. Because that's what you were made for. You and I were made to be satisfied by one and His name is Jesus. And that's what they declare when they rebuild the temple. Chapter 3, verse 11. What are they singing? For He is good, for His steadfast love toward us endures forever. They are rejoicing in the love of God because they are longing for His presence. And dear friends, it's interesting here because the chapter 3 ends with the younger people, the younger generation, singing loudly. It says they could hear the rumblings and the celebration and the worship all around the land. And yet, it was kind of like... Trump going out uh, during the national football, during the you know the the uh, yeah the the national football or college football national championship. That's what I'm trying to say. You heard shouts of applause and this underlying booing, you know. And this is kind of what's going on here. I read this. I'm like, that's just like the other night because you've got the younger generation shouts of praise and glory to God, but you've got the priests and the Levites, those that were there when Solomon's temple was built and dedicated, and and the fire of God, the presence of God came bursting forth. You see what's missing here? There's no fire. There's no evident presence of God in this temple. But the young people don't know any different. They're just glad to have a place to worship. And yet the priests are, 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 are groaning and moaning and they're depressed. Well, who's right? Both of them are really wrong. If you're satisfied with the worship that we do here for an hour, hour and a half on Sunday mornings, oh, friend, just wait. (laughs) Just wait for that day when Jesus comes back with the loud command of the archangel and you just wait because there's a worship coming that is going to blow you away. 
But are you frustrated and, oh man, I, that, that worship team, that preacher, they, oh, you always complain. Guess what? It's going to get better for both of us. <laughs> it's going to get better for the complainers and it's going to get better for those that are satisfied. Because there is a day coming when Jesus will come back and we will finally go, that's why I was made. This is what it was all about. This is what I was pursuing. This is what I was after. This is what I wanted. When I was longing and looking for it in the arms of a lover or the arms of, or, or, or the bottom of a bottle or, what, or, or, or a job or the next, this is what I wanted. Oh, how beautiful. Dear friends, the presence of God is what you've been made for. Relationship with God is what you've been made for. And let me just blow your socks off. Because this is the hope of the Christian faith. For Christians, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, that our bodies are the temple of the living God. God comes and dwells in us Holy cow! (laughs) That will rock your life. Paul was using the argument to say, so stop giving your bodies to prostitutes. But oh, it has so much greater implications than just morality. It has the implication of, if the living God lives inside of you, what is there that you can't do? What is the, I mean, the height of love, if you just believe that God loves you so much that He would live in you, because Jesus lived under the law for you, Jesus died the death that you could never die, that now God doesn't just tolerate you, but He lives in you by His Spirit. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God accepts you. You say, oh, I don't feel, I'm not worthy. That's the point. Let those two things just collide. No, you're not worthy, nor am I. But it's true. And that should make you die to yourself and want to live for His glory and worship Him with everything you have. Because that's what you're made for. All that from Ezra 1 through 3. (laughs) Do you know that hope? Oh, dear friend, come to Jesus this morning if you don't. Renew your hope in this Jesus if you do. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God that calls us out of exile into your presence. You call us to worship. You have made us your temples. (laughs) How pathetic we are. Oh God, you deserve so much more. And yet, oh God, you've chosen us. And we can only say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We give our hearts to you, Lord. I pray for those in this room that are skeptical. Oh God, would you keep just pounding their conscience. Oh God, would you just keep pounding through the fear, through the anxiety, through the intellectual superiority that they feel towards you. And oh God, would you bring them to life. Oh Father, we thank you that you have made us your people. We thank you that you will not leave nor forsake us, no matter how far we run, no matter how pathetic we live. Oh God, would you do a work among us that we might bring you glory in all we do, and that we might live for the purpose of your glory, not our own. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.